Welcome, 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 Football Life. It is my pleasure to introduce you to the first episode of Football Life Presents The Audible. It is a rebranding of the Football Life podcast, formerly known as the Deep Third Football Podcast. I am your host, as always, Randy Hammond. I am joined by, as always, as my host, the man who watches more football tape than anyone I've ever met, and technically never even met you, is Matt Bushnell, all the way out in Arizona. Matt, how you doing, buddy? I tell you what, Randy, um, doing pretty good. As we all know, it's been about a month since the NFL draft has taken place. I think we're all a little bit through withdrawal and just need some more football. Yeah, I'm kind of, you know, itching to get some sports in my life in general at this point. I think uh, given everything's going on in the world right now, I think we could all use a little bit of an escape. Um, but like Matt said, it's been a, a month since the NFL draft has taken place, but we still got some stuff we're going to talk about here. Uh, we're going to talk about, when it gets serious at the beginning here, we're going to talk about the unfortunate George Floyd uh, situation. We're going to talk about how that ties into the NFL. We had some comments made by some prominent NFL figures um, and some other reactions around the league and what's being done by, by certain players and the league itself. Um, we're going to talk about some news around the league that is not uh, – as serious, I mean, as we go along, we're going to get more and more fun, I think, at the show. Um, we're going to go around the news around the league. We're going to talk about how the coronavirus is affecting mini camps and, you know, summer training in, gen- in general for the NFL. We're going to talk about George Kittle and how he wants more money than the Niners are willing to give him and how much they probably have to give him. And then we're going to have a little documentary slash uh, power rankings anger session, which in June is always fun. I'm really looking forward to that towards the end of the show. But unfortunately, and I haven't really been looking forward to this too much all day because uh, it's been something that we've been talking about all week, something that's clearly affecting the world as we know it. But, um, you know, on Memorial Day, 46-year-old George Floyd was, I will say, murdered by a police officer. I think we've all seen the video, the horrific video of him calling for his mother, him asking for breath, um, you know, ask, saying that he cannot breathe. Um, one of the most heartbreaking videos I think I've ever seen in my life. Um, just right off the top, Matt, I know that, um, you know, we're two white men, but we're doing this podcast. I think that we have an important role in all of this and explaining how, you know, racism is not okay at any, in any form. Um, and that it's important for us to be anti-racism. And we have a huge role in this aspect of that, how this goes forward. I want to get your thoughts on that unfortunate situation that happened last week. So a lot goes through my mind as, we embark on over 300 years, well, almost, well, we're almost there, 300 years of this country's inception, over 400 years where black people have not had the same rights, the same privileges, the same ability to live as more fair, complex skin tones in this country have been afforded. We hear a lot of rhetoric, a lot of things that either you're left or right, Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, Antifa, and, you know, KKK. But tonight, I really want to address the difference when it comes to this racism plague, because it's a plague on all humans. Together, we are able to do so much more. Together, we can heal. Together, we can tear things apart. Together, we can rebuild. 
and at this time in this country, we have to rebuild. We have to open our hearts, we have to open our minds and realize that we're all here for the same reasons. And whether you believe in God, whether you don't believe in God, whether you want to find fundamental differences in belief and make and believe that's what makes us different, it's not. If you can look past subtle differences, you can find that we have a lot more in common than a lot of things that you may have thought originally. There's no place for racism in this country. There's no place for racism in your heart. It's not inherited. It's not passed down through genetics. It's learned. You learn to hate people. And when you're able to look at yourself in the mirror and you see what either you are or what you have become, you have to make a decision if that's the way you want to live the rest of your life. I do not have that hatred in my heart. I find it extremely hard to hate people because I love, I have so much love in this world and things that we see and things that we do. And watching the video of a white police officer kneel on the neck of a black man, not only was that atrocious and horrible to watch, but the analogy of what you saw was white America on the African-American culture on their neck. That is what's been going on for hundreds of years. And there it was, the most ugliest of scenes unfolding right in front of our faces. And the only thing we could do was sit there and watch. We saw people try to get involved when they watched it. And cops preventing them from going to doing that. And the only thing I could think of was my loved ones. My wife is black. My children are interracial, and the only thing I can think of is all the privileges I've had in my life and how I would never have to worry about a police officer kneeling on my neck. But I couldn't say the same for my sons. I couldn't say the same about my daughters getting in a cop car in Texas, never being able to come home again. And I have to hear the rhetoric of all lives matter. And for anybody that may be watching, that is the biggest piece of bullshit you can ever tell yourself. I'm sorry to the uh, the audience listening right now. It looks like, Matt, we lost your audio there a little bit. Um, 
I hope that when, how this is personally affecting him and his family. And to me, that's the most important part for me as, as a man who never really will truly understand what it's like to, to be a person of color in this country is the best thing I can do is just listen and be empathetic and truly understand how you guys feel. And that can make me a better person and that can truly make me uh, help people who don't understand why you guys feel the way you do to maybe help them to understand the way you guys do. To me, the, the lack of empathy for some people who don't understand the situation is alarming because how can you not watch that video and see a man begging for his life and regardless of his past, um, regardless of what he's done in his life, uh, his life, it does not mean he's, his life is not worth less. You know, we are all people. We all deserve those basic human rights. And to me, it, it broke my heart just to see that that was ripped from him. Um, it was so like one of the harder things I've ever watched and I don't have that personal connection, but I have that human connection. You know, I, I, I did think of what would that be like if that was my dad or if that was my brother, you know, I, it does, I don't see color that way. So to me, it was more of like, how can you just sit there and kneel on a guy's neck and just watch him take his final breaths and have no remorse over it. And, and that's, that's the biggest problem. And I, I know a lot of cops personally. I know a lot of good cops. Like I know people who would never do this sort of thing. But right now, we need those good cops to come out and speak up against those cops who do these things time and time and again. Those, these actions are not acceptable, and we keep seeing them over and over again. And it, it, it really hurts me. And, I, and to me, like, I'm friends with a lot of Black people. I'm, I've been over to their house because I've seen that, like, been, I've hung out with them. I've been close friends with them. Like, I, I, I'm not even trying to act like I'm any different than them. To me, they're just people. They're, and I, it's just, it's crazy to me that people still hate people based on what they look like. Uh, I wasn't raised that way. I was raised to love everyone based, basically the same way. I don't hate in general. Uh, to me, I look at a person and if you're, I, I will judge you based on whether you're an asshole or not. I don't care what you look like. I don't care how big you are, how small you are, the color of your skin. If you're nice to me, we're cool. And to me, I wasn't raised to hate like you said racism is a learned behavior that is something people are taught to do and it's it's sickening to me that this still happens in 2020 over 50 years since martin luther king died you know it's it's just i cannot believe people still feel this way matt it's it sounds like to me that you have your audio back so i, I think that you know me and the rest of the the audience would love to hear you finish your your thoughts yeah sorry about that um definitely talk about inopportune timing with the audio um, but just the microcosm, um, thinking about my kids, thinking about my wife, having to worry about when she goes out in public or if she's driving, drop, you know, dropping the kids off at an event, or if she's just going out to go grocery shopping, what happens to her when she runs into the wrong cop? Who's going to stick up for her? Who, who's going to fight for her? Who's going to fight for my children? And who, when does it stop? You know, cops don't have this overall authority where they get to decide you get to live and you get to die. It's appalling that I hear people say all blue lives matter, all lives matter. And we, I already said it, it doesn't, it doesn't because we're all one, but not all of our lives are created equal. We're not all on the same level of being privileged. I've had the, like I say, I've, I've had the privilege of being privileged and without even knowing it, getting pulled over at 2.30 in the morning, going 25 miles over the speed limit, I get a warning. What happens to a black man? He's going to jail. Why? Well, I, I just get a warning. Just, you know, son, don't, 
don't speed. I remember when I was four years old, I met one of, uh, a brother to me, and my friend Eric Bennett, um, who's a member of this group, doesn't really participate too much, but he is black. And he grew up in a household with his grandmother and grandfather, and they were from the South. And I remember going over there and them telling me what it was like growing up as a black person in Mississippi, in Arkansas, in the 1940s, in the 1950s, as a young black teenager that's male, about hearing about the different colored water fountains, about hearing how you couldn't get on the same bus, couldn't sit in the same classroom, if you were even allowed to go to the same school. And that was 60 years ago, and people want to act like that was a generation ago. These people are still alive. These people still feel this pain, and they still see their sons, their daughters, and their grandkids getting falsely charged and falsely accused of crimes that they did not commit, if they can get out of the situation alive even. So the next time anyone hears, all lives matter, please look at that person and tell them they're wrong. Not until each life is valued the same. Not until everyone has the same opportunity, the same job prospects, the same everything. And it may be a shock for some that you actually have to compete for a job or you have to compete for something because everyone's created equal. No more will you get a job over a black person because you were white or get a job over a Hispanic person because you were white. It's because you earned it. Martin Luther King Jr. said it right, and I still hope for the day that men are no longer, that people are no longer judged based off the color of their skin, but by their character. How strong is your character? How good of a person are you? And that's what should matter most. I do not care the color of your skin. I just care about you as a person. My door is open. And I just hope that with the NFL, the NBA, and I hope MLB comes out with something strong, that we all participate and we all stand up and say enough is enough. Even if you do not think it's wrong, it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or if you're a Democrat, if you're blue or you're red, it's about being a quality human being and not being a shitty human being. Because yes, what happened 60 years ago matters today. Everything in the past matters. African-Americans were stripped from their culture. Their families ripped away. Mothers not knowing what happened to their children. And if you, don't, if you don't know about the slave trade, I strongly recommend you guys read up on it. Slaves were thrown from the boats as they died. If there were too many slaves and not enough food on that boat, they threw shackled slaves overboard to drown to death. Before they even got to this country. So enough is enough. Let's give back, open your hearts. We're all quality human beings and we can all do better.
Amen, Matt. I, I feel for you and your family. And I understand that, that concern and the, the, the total fear that you have about that situation. And I, I can't help but to, to feel the same way. I, I, can't, I can't tell anyone how to feel, but all I can say is listen and, and hear how you feel and how everyone else feels about this and understand that we will never understand what it's like to be a person of color in this country and, you know, read some books and read up the history of uh, some of the awful things that have happened to those people in the past, you know, Emmett Till and <laughs> the list goes on and on. I always think of Emmett Till. He's obviously the most, one of the most famous old cases of it, but um, you know, I, I always try to like, if you haven't seen what Emmett Till looked like, there are pictures on the internet of what you, you can see how badly he was brutalized for a false accusation that he hit on a white woman. And uh <laughs> You know, it, uh, it's obviously still happening to this day. And to me, it's just flat out unacceptable. And like you said, Matt, um, all lives can't matter until black lives matter. So, you know, you always have a friend in me, no matter what. I have nothing but love in my heart for all of you. So, you know, I I don't know if that offers any sort of, you know, comfort in this time. But at the same time, I want you to know that I'm doing everything that I can to better myself and to know that I have your support at all, at all times. So, um, Matt, I got nothing to follow that is nearly as powerful well, as you're saying, I just wanted to give my thoughts out there and say, I'm pathetic and I'm listening to what you guys have to say. And I totally understand how you feel. And trust me, I'm, I'm, you know, very stressed out about everything going on in the world. And I want to feel like I'm doing the right thing and understand that I don't understand. You know, I'm trying to better myself every single day during this. Yeah, Randy, it's, um, it, it's a tough time, but I just want to say thank you. Um, we've talked a lot offline about this, and I think we both struggled with it. We didn't know how um, the emotions were still raw as we saw cities being torn apart and seeing people that didn't understand the why. They just wanted to look at the results. So um, you have a tremendous heart, and you've helped me, whether you know it or not, uh, deal with some of the frustrations that I had and some of the concerns. And like I said, I know there's good people out there and I know there's good people that are Republicans and I know that there's good people that are Democrats. It just, it, the whole cycle needs to stop and we need to all just open our hearts. And um, to kind of segue in that, I, I thought a lot of teams nailed it when it came to statements. Um, some teams missed it, like only some teams can. <laughs> and, uh, fortunately, I was pleasantly surprised by, I felt, and I may be biased here, that the Chicago Bears really came out extremely strong. Um, the words that they used describing how it was a white police officer that killed another black man, you know, and that they're doing all that they can and they want to stop it and they're going to lead change. And I think that's all you can ask for out of your teams, out of your organizations that you root for and you cheer for. And I just thought it was really awesome to see Roger Goodell come out tonight and make a really strong statement, I felt. I, I thought it could have been stronger, Randy, but I thought it was a start. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because right before we came on air, Roger Goodell released a video saying that they – that the league does condemn racism, which we know the league has a history of, uh, and totally um, blackball the player and Colin Kaepernick for believing, uh, standing up for what he believes in. And um, the biggest words that he said to me were that we were wrong. You know, I'm okay. Like so people make mistakes. None of us, like as much as we, like we have love and like in, in our hearts and we accept people for who they are. We also have to 
uh, accept the fact that people aren't perfect. People make mistakes, but the best thing that we can do is learn from those mistakes. And I'm proud of the NFL, whether it's genuine or not, which you could argue that most of these statements are probably disingenuous, um, that they came out and they took a stance and said, you know what, we didn't understand how much this meant to you and that we are going to do better in this. And that, that honestly means a lot to me because I love the NFL and I hate when people, you know, say that they are racist. And I mean, they have obviously have gone through that sort of thing. And like with the Rooney rule and everything like that. And they obviously have a history of that. And I'm glad that they are at least portraying that they are going to change some things because you have teams coming out, not really saying a whole lot. Um, I know the giants, you know, you know, kind of stepped on the corporate line the whole time in their statement, but um, to me, the biggest words, and it's a lot for someone to admit, is that we were wrong. And I know that when you're a man and when you're an adult, it's it, you say, I am wrong, and you get better from it. For the NFL to do it, I thought it was a huge deal. Yeah, to see, to see him actually say something meant that it could move into a direction. And I know people are torn on Colin Kaepernick. But Kaepernick tried warning everybody that this needs to stop four years ago. And it took this. This is what it took. How many more black lives were taken during this time period? And I know some people will point out, well, white lives are taken by police officers as well. But typically what you see is white people will be given the opportunity to be arrested. These African-Americans were not given that opportunity. They were not afforded the luxury to put their hands behind their back. And that's what Kaepernick was trying to say. And I hope the NFL works with him in the future and that they try to incorporate the message. Even Nate Boyer came out today in response to Drew Brees' comments and said that Brees did miss the mark, that it was about racial inequality. He was a, a war veteran and someone that was decorated as a Green Beret, I believe. And he said that it, it missed the mark. It was wrong. And whether you think Breeze's apology was to placate people, his actions are going to require more than just an apology at this point, I feel. And it's really going to depend on how he moves forward from this situation. It was extremely tone deaf. It was the second worst comment I heard of the week, the second worst out of all of them. Because at least I felt Breeze was speaking his true thoughts. I don't think he lied but what, by what he said. And the Knicks owner, James Dolan, coming out, that was the biggest piece of BS I've seen out of all the statements. So that's why Breeze is second, is because the Knicks statement was so bad. Yeah, I mean, for, I mean, Drew Brees said in a Yahoo Finance interview, if for those who don't know, which I don't know how you don't at this point, but that, um, and this ties together, obviously, with what we were talking about is he was asked about kneeling for the national anthem and if he'll support players who do that this year, because at this point, it is definitely going to happen again. And uh, Brees said that he doesn't support anyone who disrespects the flag and the national anthem and the United States, which the total, the, the part that he misses there is that they weren't doing that either. Um, Cap went out of his way to talk to, like you said, a Green Beret and a, a veteran of the uh, military and ask, um, what can I do to make this as respectful as possible? Um, I'm not someone who likes politics and sports, but at the same time, you have to acknowledge sports power to change things. I mean, I know that I use sports as an escape from real life, but sometimes sports can be used as the vehicle for change. And 
Colin Kaepernick never intended to disrespect the flag or the troops for that matter. And I know a lot of troops who do support him in this, uh, in this peaceful protest, because at the end of the day, all he's doing is taking it knee and saying, Hey, I don't like doing this for a country that doesn't support me who, uh, to support me for who I am. Muhammad Ali did this. And it's no different than what Muhammad Ali did. He's like, I'm not going to serve this country and come back to the country who doesn't appreciate me. And it's sad that we're still going through this now because I like to think that we've evolved, but at the same time, you see time and time and again, uh, police brutality taking place. So um, Breeze totally, I, I'm, I am okay with Breeze's uh, ability to have that opinion. The First Amendment is something I support 100%. Um, I'm okay that you have that opinion. I just think you didn't read the room. It's a little tone deaf. There is a time and place for everything. It's just not the right time for that comment. Um, what, and like I said earlier, none of us are perfect. Some of us make mistakes. He obviously didn't realize the backlash was going to happen, which maybe is more to see they say that he missed the mark. Um, but I did think that, you know, he felt genuinely bad about it. Uh, is our two apologies enough? No, probably not. But Vince in the comments pointed out that he did donate $5 million. He's done a lot for the community. He's going to have to do to repair some of the things after this. Um, I'm willing to give Drew Brees another chance. I don't believe that Drew Brees is a horrible guy. I, obviously, he has some uh, views that I don't necessarily agree with, but he's done a lot for that city. He's going to have to do a lot more for the people that he offended here. But, you know, Drew Brees, like I said with the NFL, the best thing that you can say is that you were wrong. Obviously, the backlash has a lot to do with that. But for me, the fact that he came out, he said, I will make amends here. I will make it up to you guys. I'm, I'm very sorry about this. You know, you could have just not done anything and doubled down on your statements. We've seen dumb people do that before. So to me, whether his sorry is, a, is genuine or not, I'm glad that he at least, you know, retracted those statements. Yeah. And to hit a bunch of the – some of the questions, um, Vince, the Cowboys, that I do not believe have issued a formal statement on the murder of George Floyd. Um, Henry, 26 out of the 32 NFL teams have issued a statement. Um, George McCaskey for the Bears, I know for a fact, had his statement and he read it out loud. And like I said, the Bears statement was very strong. It was very pointed and they were very direct with what they wanted to do and what they expect to see. I think um, a, a lot of the teams skirted that corporate line trying not to offend their fan base. And obviously there were some other teams. I, I believe the Seahawks came out pretty strong as well. Typically they do, and I want to say the Ravens as well. You know, some of the organizations that you would expect that typically don't worry about how their fan base will react because they trust their fan bases. They, they believe their fans are smarter than that and that their fans deserve better than that. So um, kudos to those teams. Uh, 26 NBA teams have issued a statement. Uh, MLB only 13. So... Yeah, they're going through their own issues. Dong City covers that on a pretty consistent basis. Yeah, to me, like, if, if you don't make a statement, at least behind the scenes be doing something that changes things, right? I mean, statements are great and all, but what is a statement without any action? So for me, at the same time, like, yeah, great. You made a statement. It was kind of disingenuous. But I want you to do something about it. At the very least, listen. Listen to the players that you employ because a large portion of the league is black. There would be no NFL without those players. Listen to them. You know, do things differently. Like, try to, you know, make them feel like there isn't this 
systemic racism in the NFL that there has been. So if you don't make a statement, fine, just do something. Because and like I said, we all have to be empathetic during this time. I mean, just listen to how these guys feel. And, you know, I, I, I don't, uh, if you don't make a statement, I'm not honestly heartbroken about it. Because if you make a bad statement that shows that you are a little unaware of exactly what you're talking about here, I'm almost more angry about it. Um, like the, the Giants said nothing <laughs> in, a, in, a, in, their, in their statement. Like to me, you're almost better off just not saying anything and just changing some things. Like maybe have a black starting quarterback other than Geno Smith in your franchise's history. You know, I mean, they had Jerry Reese BGM for 10 years, which, you know, good job for that. He probably had the job longer than he needed to, but at the same, like, that's a good thing. You know, I think that these guys need chances too. So don't make a, if you don't make a statement, whatever, just do something, like act on it, act on your players' feelings. Because at the end of the day, that's what's going to make a difference. These statements, to me, most of the time, mean nothing. I'm glad the Bears came out strong. Now I want them to back up that statement and actually do it. You know what I mean? Because those are empty words at that point. Yeah, I think with the Bears, they do a lot for the city as it is. They have a lot of youth program initiatives. They support I Grow Chicago and My Block. And there's another one that they're pretty heavily invested in. So the Bears actually have a strong tie to the community. I don't could they do more? Yes. I, I think they need to do more with the police brutality aspect of it and really trying to get that situation to the forefront of their message at this point. So, you know, it, it almost feels kind of cheating that we're going to go to a different topic, Randy, but at the same time, I, I think, we could use a little football talk, a little X's and O's, a little contract dispute, and uh, just some fun. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't 100% going to move on. I just wanted to make a couple more thing, comments real quick. Um, on Drew Brees, the best rebuttal for me, and if you haven't seen it, is go watch Nate Burleson's clip um, talking about his grandfather. Um, because to me, that was the most powerful one, and you could tell that he was so emotional about it. And one of the most noteworthy things, on top of – saying how his grandfather served in the military and came home and then was killed by police, um, which is obviously horrific and what's going on right now, which is part of the main problem that we're discussing. Um, he said, Drew, please just do me a favor and broaden your lens and see things from a different perspective. And if you're someone who is questioning why this is all happening, that is the best way I can phrase that. And it's from Nate Burleson. I will be 100% someone who tells you that the world does revolve around you from your perspective. Absolutely. It's your life. So everything is what you do. Life is what you make of it. But sometimes things get in the way of that. And when you're a person of color, a lot of things get in the way of that. So just take a step back and try to see where these people are coming from. Nate Burleson, if you did not get to see it, it is, it is emotional. It is very heartbreaking what happened to him and his, his grandfather. And I, I recommend his thoughts on that to anyone. It's on Instagram. I think um, Good Morning Football posted it. It was one of the more more um, thoughtful rebuttals I have, given that his uh, his experience for sure. Um, one more, two more things about action based on this. The Cowboys are not one of those teams I don't believe who said anything about this. Their quarterback, who has gone through quite a bit, excuse me, uh, Dak Prescott, who obviously lost a family member from the coronavirus um, in April, has just, is donating a million dollars to help police reform. I think it was. Let me pull that up really quick. But he um, is pledging, uh, yeah, he's pledging a million dollars to improve police training. Um, 
so good on Dak to actually putting his money to use. And now, you know, Jerry, you should pay him so he could help do more of that sort of thing. Um, listen to him, you know, like we're saying, you know, take Dak's feelings and emotions from that and, you know, act on it because his thoughts and, and his life matters, like what we're talking about. And the NFL, to their credit, also to back up their actions is donating $20 million also to help with policing um, and racial injustices. So I feel like the NFL is really turning a corner with some of this stuff. And, you know, unfortunately it took this for it to happen, but if George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery's legacy is that they force these things to change, I think, you know, if there's any good, it's that. And it's hard to take away anything good from a lost life, but what you leave behind is a legacy that they had no idea anything about. So if, uh, if they're up there, if you believe in that sort of thing, I hope that they are happy about that. Yeah, very strong words, Randy. Yep, I agree. All right. Uh, there's no great transition for this. Normally, there's like a happy transition to a happy transition. This is obviously something that's not the easiest transition. But we're going to talk about something still pretty serious, still pretty present in our lives, uh, which I mentioned a little while ago, which is the coronavirus. Um, still happening. People, uh, it seems to be weakening a little bit, but cases are still very much present in certain states. Um, the NFL did announce that uh, the training camps, and I believe mini camps as well, every team has to do those from their own facility, which is new because some teams do joint uh, camps. Some teams go up to colleges. I know that the Giants used to come up to UAlbany, um, which they stopped doing in 2013, I believe. I know the Jets used to go to Pelham Park, or some, I don't know exactly what it's called, but they usually do an off-site uh, training facility as well. Um, I don't know about you, but I think this might have a, a little effect on teams more so than the fact that they're doing these meetings to be a Zoom right now and not face-to-face. -face. So uh, how do you think that these uh, you know, stay-at-home regulations are going to affect these teams? For some teams, obviously, I think it will be harder than others when they may not have the infrastructure at their homes to support a training camp. Um, what a lot of fans may not know, and some do, obviously, the, the ones that pay more attention is usually you invite just under 100 people to camp. So typically, a college locker room is built for that many bodies to be in a locker room it has enough room for facilities and everything the meeting rooms are big enough obviously we know the nfl roster size um i believe is 53 and then you get the 10 practice squad players the taxi squad as they like to call them because guys are always shuffling in and out of the practice squad so you're going to go from a facility that's used to having 63 bodies to a facility you need that facility to hold close to 98 when training camp begins. Obviously, cuts will cut that down. So I think the infrastructure will be the biggest challenge for a lot of these teams. The players, I don't worry so much about. Uh, it's football at the end of the day. You know, as long as you have multiple fields that are 100 yards or 50 yards, depending on what area you're working on, uh, they'll be fine. Enough footballs to go around, equipment, which is never an issue for these teams. The players will be fine. I think the coaches will find it more challenging to have a more jam-packed meeting room that's not used to holding that many bodies. But I will say, I, I think the special teams guys, the special team coaches are going to love it because obviously they're going to have a lot more guys to work with as they usually do during training camp. So I, I think it's going to be interesting. I'm not, you know, I, I think it'll be okay. Yeah, I feel 
uh, like this is this made sense. I didn't think this wasn't going to happen. I'm surprised that these teams are going to be able to have camps. I mean, the New York City Metro, I'm pretty pessimistic about anything going on there. Um, but at the same time, uh, I'm with you. I don't think this is going to affect teams so much. What I do think is that a lot of teams do joint camps and they do uh, practices against each other and scrimmages against each other. Um, that to me holds real value because I, I remember when I was a kid, uh, there was always these stories about Jeremy Shockey just getting into fights with the Bengals <laughs> and these joint training camps. And whether, I mean, I'm not saying the fight itself was valuable, but competition against another team to help you evaluate where you are ahead of schedule, I think matters. Um, and we talked about this before we came on air. I think that you're going to see a lot more guys playing in preseason now, uh, especially the first three games, because these coaches need to see, like you can practice, you can go hard and practice, but how you play in a game is truly what matters here. I mean, Victor Cruz earned a roster spot because of how he played in the preseason. So you're going to see guys play a lot more. I wonder how that affects the back end of your rosters, how that they how they're going to schedule your starters versus your backups and how you're going to schedule your third strings. Is your last game going to be the only game that your third string players play? Um, what about the backup long snapper? When is he going to play? If these random positions that do need fine tuning, that do need those reps in preseason might not get those. Um, I just, I, I don't worry about it. It's just something I think about. And it's like, I wonder, like, is is Daniel Jones going to play three first halves in the first three games for the Giants? You know, I mean, Joe Judge, new new coach, new offensive system. Like, he's going to have to get in-game reps at the end of the day. So I, I wonder what the, these teams are going to decide on when it comes to preseason, given that you're not going to have joint camps, not going to have that um, privilege of a, a scrimmage in, in the mini camps and the training camps. Um, okay. So other than the coronavirus affecting – still our lives in general and everything else going on in the world. There is one player who's talking about money and he plays a position where they don't get paid as much as other positions. George Kittle, one of the best players in the sport, Henry and Roberto's beloved 49ers, probably the heart and soul of that team. Uh, He came out and he said that he doesn't want to get paid tight end money. He doesn't care about the tight end market. He wants to get paid George Kittle money right now. He's scheduled to make $2.1 million this season. Um, the highest paid tight end uh, is, I believe, Hunter Henry at $10 million, followed by Austin Hooper. He just got a big contract from the Browns at $10 million. So what do you think, George Kittle? What, does, what kind of money does this guy deserve, Matt? So the money that he deserves may be a little bit different than the money he gets. I think you take a look at the 49ers offense. They have to have them. When we talk about complete tight ends, what he does for an offense is so impactful because it really can hide what the 49ers do. Having a tight end that can not only block, but also run crisp routes and has good hands and just really be a a dominant presence really makes play action that more dangerous. You really bite on those run fakes a lot more, and it doesn't give the defense an ability to key. Like We all love Travis Kelsey. I think we can all agree that Travis Kelsey is one of the top tight ends in all of football. But when Travis Kelsey's in the game, they do run it, but you're almost positive that they're going to pass it. And that's pretty much Andy Reid's MO. Andy Reid's going to throw it more than he or more, more than he runs it. But with the 49ers, we see their offensive philosophy more ground and pound. They want to run the football. They may not trust Jimmy Garoppolo so much. 
So the market for George Kittle, I, I think the conversation starts at about 18 million per year. I, I think you have to look at four years, 80 million. You're probably looking around 60 million guaranteed. Um, you know, obviously his agent is going to go high, uh, probably top wide receiver money. And by all means, what he does for that offense is more important than what some number one receivers mean to their offense. You're hoping a lot for the 49ers wide receivers to come into play. They do have some young wide receivers, but losing Emmanuel Sanders hurts that offense immensely. So that just puts more pressure on George Kittle. I do think they get the deal done. And I do think it's, you're probably looking at anywhere between four to five years and anywhere between 70 and $90 million. I mean, it's, it's an awful lot of money. And as Henry said, he didn't say it. I apologize. His agent said it. It's how a lot of these negotiations go anyway, but, but um, his, his agent speaks for him. Yeah. I, yeah. I get it. Uh, so yeah, Hunter Henry is the highest paid tight end for the Chargers at 10.6. Austin Hooper right behind him at 10.5. Travis Kelsey in third at 9.4. Um, I read somewhere that he's in the, he's interested in the Adam Thielen range, which would be around 18 million. Like you said, he would be by far the highest paid tight end. Uh, he's only 26 years old. He's the only 49ers tight end ever with a thousand yard receiving season in which he's done it two years in a row. So. I mean, he's got an argument. I think that he is the heart of that offense. Uh, obviously, they have a powerful running game, which he is a big part of. He is not a slouch in the blocking game. He is a complete tight end in every sense of the word. So I'm interested to see how much they're willing to give him. They have $15 million in cap space for this year. So maybe it'll linger around that number. Either way, he'll still be the highest paid tight end. But like he, like they said, he doesn't want to be paid like a tight end or go by the tight end market. He just wants to get paid what he feels or what his agent feels that uh, he's worth. So um, he's only 26 years old. Like I said, um, you give him a five-year deal, it's probably going to be all of his prime and it's probably going to be worth it. So if they don't have him, I wonder how it would affect the rest of the offense. It's hard to replace a guy like that. And I'm sure there's another team out there who will pay him. That, that, that offense would fall apart. I mean, you watch the tape of what Kittle does. You can't bring eight in the box and ignore him because if it's a play-action pass, you're getting burned. I mean, I think you can attribute an extra yard per carry on the run game because of what he means in the passing game. And your running game runs so much smoother with Kittle in there as an inline blocker. I don't know how you can do it. And I, I agree with Henry on his comment that they're going to have to probably give him big bonus money and restructure it year on year after year after year. So that way the cap hit kind of neutralizes until you get a cushy cap year. Um, but it's interesting because an article came out that you uh, pointed out, Randy, where the NFL is worried about what if fans can't attend the games? So the, they ran some numbers and they figured that roughly each team would lose $28 million in cap space. So if they do lose money in cap space or the cap does not expand as much as they think it is, they're going to have to get really creative. I think when you have a player of George Kittle's capability, you fit him in no matter what you figure it out. You play with the cap, you tinker year after year after year, if that's what you have to do. You do not let George Kittle hit the open market. No, and 
you know, like I said, it's kind of surprising to me that he is the only tight end in 49ers history with a, with a thousand yard reception uh, receiving season. He did it two years in a row with an injured, well, Jimmy Garoppolo was injured. So he did it with the carousel quarterbacks the year before. And now he did it with Jimmy G obviously going to a Super Bowl. There's no questioning the value he has to the team. Uh, he has incredible hands, incredible blocking ability. Um, you know, he, he's a tight end, but he's more, I think he's more than that. I, you don't see a lot of guys who have that sort of value at the tight end position. Um, he, he's like almost Gronk like in the value that he has to that offense. And uh, yeah, he's going to get paid. I'm, I'm interested to see in the numbers uh, where that ends up. And like you said, they're going to lose cap space. I think a lot of teams are going to lose cap space this year, but you know, the NFL has a couple things in place where they could take TV money from years down the road to not, you know, make the player suffer. You see the disaster that the MLB is going through right now. You want to avoid that at all costs. So the NFL, they got money. Don't, don't do the same. Don't look at the MLB and say, that's a good idea. Cause it's not, <laughs> they're losing fans in, in baseball. And I, I love baseball and I hate what's going on over there. So you got to avoid that situation. If you can, just, if you got to eat money for a year, if you got to figure out some sort of deferral plan, make it work. And I think the NFL has time to figure that out. Okay. Not a whole lot of NFL news, obviously. So we're going to do a little something fun here. And I hope that you guys, uh, you know, participate and tell us your thoughts too. Um, Matt here, if you didn't know, big, big Chicago guy. And not with not a lot of whole, not a lot of sports going on right now. Um, the thing that a lot of us were looking forward to on Sundays um, was the last dance, the the nineties bulls, not even the nineties, just the bulls documentary, the Michael Jordan documentary. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, obviously, I don't think it's the greatest piece of journalism ever, but entertaining nonetheless. And I know when we do a football show, I try to figure out ways to come up with topics to talk about. And for me, it's like, is there a subject in the NFL that you could do a documentary on that is as captivating as Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan's one of the most, you know, powerful and, you know, I don't even know the right word, but he's he's Michael Jordan. He's larger than life. It's, it's when you have a documentary based on a team and you have Michael Jordan as the head of that team, it's easy to do a 10 part series on. So I thought I tried to think of dynasties players, like what kind of person or team you could you do a documentary on in the NFL? And we've had conversations like this. I think that most people agree that the nineties Cowboys would be the easiest team to do a large documentary series on. You know, I don't know. Could you think of a better option than the 90s Cowboys? Not one that'd be more entertaining. I'll tell you that much, Randy. I mean, that team was nuts. I mean, you had Michael Irvin, Charles Haley, and just those two alone could fill out a 10-part documentary. Yeah, I think you need to have a little bit of everything. Controversy, controversy, success, um, you know, a little kind of a fallout. Um, and I think you have to have like a – a figure that is sort of bigger than the sport and everyone calls the Cowboys America's team. So obviously you would have that right there. Um, what I thought of, but I don't think it's going to be as interesting. And this is the one they ran with and it's Tom Brady and the new England Patriots. Um, Tom Brady next year, ESPN decided to do uh, a nine part documentary series on Tom Brady called man in the arena, which um, nine parts is a lot. I don't find Tom Brady to be nearly as captivating as Michael Jordan. Um, I think the Patriots uh, are more interesting than people give them credit for because they have some failures mixed in there and there is a little bit of controversy with the cheating stuff. So like, as long as they can talk about that, I think it's okay. And they did have a falling out. So I will watch it, but I don't know if it was the best subject. And part of the reason that I like the last dance 
is that it happened 20 years ago. And I, there was some time in between when it was made. And I think you have some time to feel nostalgic with that sort of thing. Tom Brady's still playing. He's going to be playing this year and next year. And I think that's one of my bigger issues with it. Um, you know, what do you make about them choosing Tom Brady for a documentary? I always find it tough. Obviously, he had the most amount of success of any NFL quarterback when it comes to winning. I don't find his story that captivating. You know, he eats kale. Um, he was a slob, more or less NFL quarterback body-wise when he was drafted. So it, it makes you wonder how much did Deflategate have anything to do with that period of success? And the bigger one that I think is the biggest one is the video recording. I, I think that has a lot larger impact. And I still don't think we have the exact time frame of when it started and when it ended. So a lot of those Super Bowls I question. And I could deal with off-the-field controversy, Randy. I, I can deal with it. As long as the result on the field was a legitimate type of victory, I find those to be interesting. Like Jordan and the Bulls you know, the two three-peat teams, there was a little bit of everything. And that 98 season, 97-98 season, had so much controversy around it with Jerry Krause saying, this is it. You know, everyone going in kind of knew that, you know, this is it for this team. People were pissed. They were hoping, you know, I don't want to hear it. And then you had Scottie Pippen not starting off the season right away because he waited to get surgery. Uh, Rodman was really nearing the end of his string. And you know, Phil was obviously getting tired, and there was just a lot of miles on a lot of those guys. With the Patriots, there's some questions onto the legitimacy of their, at least their first Super Bowl, beating the Rams. I mean, there's some serious questions that are still to be asked about that one that I don't ever think that we got a satisfactory answer for. And some people say, oh, well, you know, quarterbacks know the defense. It, once you know what formation and what play the defense is going in, you can start calling hot routes. You, I mean, it's just, a, it's just such a huge advantage for Tom Brady as a quarterback, knowing what the defense is doing before the start of the play. That's what made Peyton Manning, Peyton Manning, you know, mega mind. Like, he didn't have any of that. He just knew what the defense was going to run just by looking out there. And it, it was amazing to see. So I'm not interested because I have to question the legitimacy of their victories. I don't know if um, this is going to have to have the Tom Brady stamp of approval, like the TV 12 stamp, kind of like the MJ stamp. You know, a lot of things were left out of the MJ doc that a lot of people would have liked to know about, but because Michael Jordan had creative control that you didn't know if this is the same thing for Tom Brady, it's going to be way less interesting. Um, unless it is a, sort of a Jerry Krause situation where you just take Bill Belichick and throw him under the bus for a lot of it, um, which I'm not ruling out. I don't necessarily know if they ended on the greatest terms ever, but to me, to go off of your legitimacy and the, the wins uh, conversation is, I don't know if I ever remember a dynasty starting um, with a, a controversial call quite like the tuck rule. The whole Patriots dynasty is based on that one missed call. Um, if if they don't call that a tuck rule and it's a fumble and the Raiders have the ball in that snow game in Foxborough, is it the same thing? Is it is it still a dynasty? Do they still have six world championships and nine Super Bowl appearances? 
maybe they're still successful. Maybe they win a couple. Maybe they still win five. I don't know. But to me, that sparked a dynasty. And I know Adam Vinatieri still had to make the kick, but he doesn't even get the opportunity to make the kick if that call isn't isn't missed. So to me, the very the whole dynasty from the beginning has a little bit of an asterisk to it. And I'm not saying like Bill Belichick to me is the greatest coach of all time. Tom Brady, like you said, the most successful quarterback ever, and the most I think he's the greatest quarterback ever. But at the same time, you know, you could argue a few other guys. You could argue Montana. You could argue Marino. But legacy-wise and, and total body of work, it's hard not to say Tom Brady is the greatest at this point. He won six championships. It's almost the same thing as Michael Jordan, where he won six titles and until anyone else goes, you know, six and zero. Oh, except Brady did lose, and that's going to be my favorite part of this documentary: is when you get to Super Bowl forty-two, the undefeated Patriots have a chance to make history, to ruin the Dolphins' legacy, and and I know I'm biased, but the New York Giants stepped up and saved America from the from the trademark Patriot Perfect. I don't care if Brady's doing it or not. I don't know how you can do a documentary and not talk about Super Bowl 42 because he ate dirt the whole time. The Giants did nothing but pressure him and make him not be himself. And the Patriots, I think, by all accounts, were the greatest roster ever, had the greatest team ever. No team was even that close to them at all in the regular season or the playoffs, and the Giants brought it to them, and they choked big time in that game. So I, I think, to me, there's two things I'm looking forward to, Super Bowl 42, Super Bowl 46. Legendary Tom Brady losing to Eli Manning, the Peyton Manning's little brother. Uh, <laughs> I think that uh, the nine-part documentary is a little much, but if 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 this is actually journalism done correctly, it can be interesting. But like you said, I, I, like I said, I don't know if this is going to be a Jordan scenario where Brady has to sign off on everything. I I, I would almost guarantee it's definitely going to be a Jordan scenario where Tom's going to sign off on everything. He has that kind of clout within the sports organization, the sports world. But it it feels to me, I I felt like the Bulls captivated America with that roster and the characters they had. Like, they didn't do anything to piss off America. And even though they won a lot of games, you still like Michael Jordan. He was still an icon. He appeared everywhere. Really the first athlete that was global out of everyone but with Tom Brady and the Patriots, with the cheating, if they go into the cheating scandal and they really put a bright light on it, and if there's indefutable evidence that this is when it started, it didn't have a big impact, and if you can prove that, I'll, I'll watch. I'll be interested because then it's like, okay, maybe I can forgive the storyline. Maybe I can look past it. But the whole premise of a Tom Brady documentary and making yourself look bad, you know, I don't know what's going to come out. He's not going to admit guilt. There's no way Tom Brady comes out and says, I watched those videos. I watched the defensive coordinator call plays. And I knew exactly what the defense was running from 2002 all the way to 2010 or whatever they got officially busted by Eric Mangini and the Jets. So... I need something more, and I just feel like it's going to be a puff piece for Brady. I have a feeling some guys are going to get buried. I I would not be surprised if it's Belichick. Asante Samuel, big time <laughs> going to get buried. Oh, yeah. Yep. I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't know how this is going to captivate me if it's a puff piece things that they can do to me that make it a little more interesting. I mean, Brady at least has a supermodel wife who was pretty outspoken. 
Um, one thing Michael Jordan didn't do was mention anything about his family at all. Um, if there's a lot of Gronk, I think Gronk could play sort of a Dennis Rodman type role in this. Um, Rodman obviously was a character who literally left during the NBA finals to go be on WCW, like unprecedented type of behavior. Um, Gronk, you know, would make 69 jokes in the press conference. And while Bill Belichick, like, snar like glares at him like stop talking like an idiot you're a patriot sort of thing um you know i think that like randy moss is in like brief stint for them and help like breaking a jerry rice receiving record could be interesting but i'm kind of with you like they're gonna do this puff piece where it's gonna be every super bowl victory it's gonna be his heroics and how well he played against the seahawks in super bowl 49 it's gonna be you know, the 28-3 to 3 comeback, and they're not going to mention anything about Kyle Shanahan just absolutely blowing the game by his play calls. And they're not going to mention the fact that uh, Pete Carroll threw the ball on second down at the one-yard line, and Malcolm Butler had the luckiest interception of all time. And, um, and when they, they're going to talk about the Eagles' Super Bowl and talk about how Brady threw for, you know, 500 yards and a loss, and it was the defense's fault, and it's going to be a lot of that stuff. Um, I, I, I'm going to watch it. I love football. And and I'm I'm not like super excited about it like I was for the last dance, but I think there were so many more opportunities for for better documentaries that could have been more entertaining. I mean, the, just the numbers you could have pulled with that Cowboys documentary. First, you had an iconic team, right? I mean, obviously the Cowboys don't have the amount of success that the Patriots have now in that time frame. But man, once Jeff Perlman wrote that book you know, about Michael Irvin cutting somebody with a pair of scissors when he was getting his hair cut. I mean, just stuff like that. Charles Haley. And I mean, Vince Mercandetti would love Charles Haley stories with Charles Haley walking around and just putting his schlong in people's faces. I mean, you just talk about a wild group of fucking guys. Like, And then you had the coach, Jimmy Johnson. And people look at Jimmy Johnson as kind of like this buttoned up, you know, really charismatic but professional guy jimmy was fucking nuts too you know he yeah. he he started the u um, and those who don't know what the u are university of miami i mean jimmy johnson went to that program yep there it is and i mean holy shit the stuff they could have done with that cowboys documentary and we got leon saying the ray lewis document documentary i mean Maybe if Ray actually had the weapon after the Super Bowl, you know, maybe that would. Or the white suit. Or the, so white, the white suit. Yes. Conveniently, that disappeared. Yeah. But, I mean, would the Ray Lewis documentary be more interesting than the Tom Brady documentary? Hmm. I think just because he's a linebacker and he has a better personality, just based on that, I'd say yes. I think he's more rah-rah and, like, would talk more shit about people than Tom Brady will. Just on that aspect alone, I think, absolutely. Um, I think, like, uh, to, for another linebacker, and I'm, I'm biased, but LT, I think, would be a great subject for a long documentary because of his history, his cocaine, his, his just madness on the football field and how he completely changed the game and is – almost un inarguably the greatest defensive player the sport has ever seen and changed the way we rush the passer right now. I think that like you have to have greatness with a little bit of crazy and maybe some controversy and winning. And I think that's like a good recipe for all of this. And, you know, Jordan had just a little bit of everything with, with the gambling and, 
and just the super competitive nature and the retiring three times and like a guy retiring at the prime of his career like that doesn't really happen anymore. <laughs> so Michael had a lot of those things that made that so interesting. Yeah. And you take into account what Michael had was his father passing away and then wanting to go mm-hmm. play baseball. And th- that provided a little bit of intrigue as well. And then also to throw in it with the pizza gate, five guys <laughs> delivering one pizza Okay, Michael, I'm not sure how believable that one is, but okay, you know what, fine, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt, you're Michael Jordan, you know, so I'm not one to dispute Michael's claims, um, and, and not only that with Michael, but they didn't even touch on the womanizing stuff that Michael did, I mean, Jesus Christ, Wilt Chamberlain said he slept with over 20,000 women, uh, I mean, I think I did the math, and I think it took him 25 years to sleep with that many women if he did it one or two per night, so I, I think Michael's on that track too, you know? So th- there's a, there was a lot to Michael that they could have dug up more if it wasn't a puff piece, but even though it was a puff piece, they still had plenty of things to go off of. They, they had the ability to go and dig and still have stories. For but, sure. Yeah. And For sure. Brady, I don't think they have that. Like you said, they have a couple of pieces, but, but nothing like Jordan. No, and and to me, I almost feel like a Manning family documentary would be more interesting than a Tom Brady documentary, especially if you go back to their college days, like Peyton choosing Tennessee over Ole Miss and how everyone in his home state hated him for that. Like, people don't even remember that that happened. <laughs> and everyone, like, legitimately hated him for it. And then Eli eventually goes to Ole Miss, but then has the, the drunken in public incident and people weren't sure if he was like going to be totally the guy and he got killed by the New York media, got called Sheila, you know, like there's, there's a lot more, I think like Peyton, like changing how quarterbacks call audibles pun intended at the line um, and being able to read defenses and with Archie and Cooper, I almost think like a a long Manning documentary would be more entertaining than a Brady documentary. Yeah, I would love a Manning documentary because even Archie was interesting. I mean, Archie playing for those terrible New Orleans Saints teams and you have Peyton, like you said, going to Tennessee. And I mean, Peyton had a little dirt on him too, you know, the sexual harassment claim um, with the trainer. I mean, Eli always kind of seemed like he was the the good one of the group. Like he just wanted to play football. He didn't want all the extra stuff, which actually made him the perfect quarterback for New York. So. Yeah. And then, obviously, their careers intertwined with Brady and beating Brady. Um, yeah, the Manning family documentary I would find a lot more interesting. Um, another one, and, and let me throw this out here, and I know people that may not like Chicago, but the 85 Bears, I mean, I know it's been done in a way, but never really uncovered the dirt. Like Dicka denying his players' sponsorships. He wouldn't let them do commercials, but he went off and did commercials. So, I mean, there's some dirt with those Chicago teams. Walter not scoring a touchdown in the Super Bowl and Dicka not realizing how important that was to Walter. Um, just so many pieces to that Bears documentary. Yeah, I almost feel like the 85 Bears, like OJ, is sort of tired out in a way. But at the same time, like you said, there's a lot of in-depth things about the 85 Bears that haven't been touched on that they totally could do. And it, that to me is like, yeah, I feel like people feel that way that LT is a little bit tired out too, but there's a lot more to LT that has never really been talked about in the 86 and 90s uh, Giants teams and, you know, how Parcells treated a lot of those guys and, you know, the Hostetler-Sims dilemma. Um, I feel like there's a lot of those uh, stories that haven't been told 
I almost would like, and I'm kind of sick to him as a GM, but a John Elway Broncos one. And, you know, him failing at the beginning of his career to win a Super Bowl and him eventually having the teams do so later in his career. If we're talking individual players, um, Brett Favre, I think it'd be a really good one, um, especially the fallout when Rodgers came in and how awful he treated Rodgers at the end. Um, you know, you have – and Vince's favorite part of this whole thing would be, um, you know, dong picks <laughs> sent to teachers. Um, there's there, there's his dad dying as well. The, never, the unforgettable Monday night football performance. I think Favre has a lot of layers if they were ever to do single-player one. Yeah, I think there's a couple of players that would make fascinating pieces. Um, I'm going to give you three names, all kind of older, back-in-the-day names. Number one, Jim Brown. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think that one is pretty fascinating and with his story. Uh, number two would be Ernie Davis, one that oh, yeah. never gets talked about, who never played it down in the NFL, but how good he was supposed to be, which is downright scary. And then number three, Barry Sanders. I think Barry Sanders would be interesting, even though he was quiet. Or they could just do one for our guy, Leon, on the Detroit Lions and yeah. how they made two of the greatest players ever at their positions retire in their prime. <laughs> poor Leon, man. Poor, poor Lions fans. I guess that's any time anyone cares us complain about our teams, it's always like, well, I'm a Lions fan, so I got to be. Um, I love to see a Jim Brown one. I still think that Jim Brown was the greatest running back ever. Um, I, the thing about Ernie Davis is they did make the movie about him, which, I mean, I'm sure they took creative liberties with some things. Um, but absolutely, Ernie Davis often gets forgot about, but many people thought he was better than Jim Brown at Syracuse and might have been better than him in the NFL. So, uh, absolutely. Um, I would love to see one on Walter Payton. Um, just because the Walter Payton Man of the Year was named after him. I don't know if he was all that interesting, but I think it is an inspirational story. You could do one on him. Um, you would know more about Walter Payton than me. Um, do you think that's more of a 30 for 30 than a, a long documentary? So I think the things that people don't realize about Walter was the dark side of his life, where a lot of the things that you associate with CTE and head trauma – really presented itself in Walter's last part of his career and then his home life. Um, Connie's talked about it, Connie Payton, his wife. Uh, he, Walter definitely slept with his fair share of women. Um, he wasn't the wholesome family man that was portrayed by the media. Would Walter make an interesting 30 for 30? Or I don't think he could do a 10-part documentary on Walter. Um, just for the fact that the damage that his legacy would take, they would probably have to rename the Walter Payne Man of the Year Award. Yeah. Th there's definitely some skeletons in that closet. I love Walter um, as a football player and even as a man before you know, the head trauma. I mean, it, it'd be a textbook case of what does CTE change in a human being? And I think you may see that a lot with Walter. And it was really unfortunate especially at the end, um, how he dealt with his liver needing a transplant. So I would personally want to see it as a Bears fan. Would it be compelling on a 30 for 30? Yes. Would I recommend a nine-part documentary for it or a 10-part? Absolutely not. Yeah, I think that's a good point on the, on the Walter Payton Man of the Year stuff. I think the NFL really tries to 
keep that image up there and then they really give that to people who do well for the community and who are, you know, genuine guys um, in the sport. So it'll, it would be pretty hard to, to rebrand that sort of thing. Um, I still love Walter Payton as a player. Um, <laughs> I would love to just, I, a lot of those things I wasn't even unaware of. So I would love to learn more about him in, in that way. So, okay. I think we got a lot of names in there. I think that we've both decided we're not that interested and a Thomas Edward Brady nine-part documentary series. Um, but it's happening. Uh, Man on the Field will air next year on ESPN. Um, after the success of The Last Dance, it's hard to blame them for wanting to do another subject. I just wish they chose the 90s Cowboys instead. They missed the All right. Yes, they did big time. Um, it's time for us to get a little mad here um, at Peter King, which I love doing. Um, he released power rankings and June power rankings, honestly, are my favorite because we don't know anything about anyone at this point. Um, so I'm just going to go down the list and I kind of just want to rapid fire. You give me your take on where they are. We can talk about it quick and then we'll keep going. Obviously there's 32 teams. So let's try to keep this as quickly as possible here. Number one, I don't think is any surprise is the Super Bowl champion, Kansas city chiefs. No argument from you there. I assume. No. All right, number two, home of the National Football League MVP, Lamar Jackson, the Baltimore Ravens. Any argument from you? Nah, they're either two or three, but that feels right. All right, I don't mind it. I think that overall they're still a really good team and deserve to be high up there. Uh, another team with a, um, well, two heartbreaking, three heartbreaking playoff losses in a row, New Orleans Saints at three. I, I do not see that. Um... That's too high. Yeah, a little too high for my liking, too, considering the aging quarterback, but um, we'll see. Uh, San Francisco 49ers, the Super Bowl losers come in here at four. Um, I think top five is probably fair for them at this point. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm torn. I don't know how big the loss of Emmanuel Sanders will be, and expecting Javon Kinlaw to fill DeForest Buckner's shoes seems kind of large feels too high for me. Yeah, we'll see how Brandon Ayuk fills in for uh, Manny Sanders for sure. Um, this is the big, biggest shocker already to me is number five is Tom Brady's new team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Feels right. Really? Yep. Yeah, I think that defense is for real, and there's a lot of weapons on offense. And they do have a really good roster. We'll see. Uh, I worry my same concerns with the Saints. I think Brady's little – over the hill at this point. Um, Seattle Seahawks coming in at number six, probably a little bit too high for me. I think there are better teams, but Russell Wilson factor, right? I actually feel they're too low. I, I really like them as a team. Wow. I, I think they should be higher. Wow. Um, one of the final four teams, a little too high for my liking, is the Tennessee Titans coming in at seven. Way too high. Looking at some of the teams they lost to last year, it felt yeah. like they had the perfect storm in the playoffs. They played an aging quarterback who had a depleted roster with him he played an in or they played an inexperienced quarterback in the playoffs and Lamar Jackson and then they got the play of the Kansas City Chiefs and then the Chiefs woke up in the second half and said hey we're the Chiefs and absolutely smoked them uh somehow a worse selection here at eight and is the Las Vegas Raiders <laughs> so I I saw the list and I came up with three teams could at the end of the year, could I convince myself that this team could finish as the eighth best team in the NFL? Yes, but so many things would have to break right. I think they're closer to 16 than they are eight, 
but I do like a lot of parts of that roster. Yeah, to me, they're more of a bottom third team even. Uh, I can see that being a more of a scenario than, than even top ten. Um, Dallas Cowboys coming in here at ninth, and uh, they finished 500 last year and missed the playoffs. I, I don't see it. That's too high. Uh, great offensive roster. I worry about their defense, uh, especially in the secondary. Um, I don't believe that they're going to be making very many stops, but if Dak plays well, they're going to score a lot of points. Top 10, I, I, I highly doubt it. Uh, team getting Ben Roethlisberger back to play quarterback for them. Pittsburgh Steelers coming in here at 10. Randy, this is the part I'm torn on because he is a very talented quarterback, but he didn't play last year. Admittedly, I believe he is overweight by quite a bit of poundage. And without training camp, he's a year older. He's taken a lot of punishment. We saw they were a 500 team without him. I don't know. I, I'm not – I give Mike Tomlin a lot of credit, but I just feel like this is too high for a team that you just – there's more questions than answers. Yeah, Big Ben not playing at all last year really makes me question how effective he'll be this year. Although one of the better defenses in the league to me, probably top top five if I had to rank them right now. Uh, Minnesota Vikings, who lost to the San Francisco 49ers in the playoffs last year, uh, coming in here at 11. It feels okay. I'm kind of lukewarm about it. There's those three teams in the NFC North that I feel like you could just throw in a hat and throw it up in the air and you don't know who's going to come in first or third. And the Vikings kind of fall in that bunch. So, yeah, I would say – I'd probably say between 12 and 16 is probably where they belong. 11, I'm not going to be too upset. It's interesting because the Green Bay Packers are right behind them and they made the NFC title game. Um, I would probably put Green Bay in the top 10 over some of those teams. I, I think we see the same thing with Pittsburgh and what you said about New Orleans and the same thing you said about Tampa Bay. Um, with aging quarterbacks. Rodgers, I believe, is turning 36 next season or 37. Mm -hmm. um, while he still is very efficient, he missed quite a bit of throws. And I don't know how the relationship is with him and LaFleur and them drafting Jordan Love. Uh, I know Ryan Shiner is still very sore about that one. or I'm sorry, very happy about that one because he thinks Jordan Love is a bust. But... Um, I feel like the Packers, yeah, 12 to 16, along with the Vikings, uh, throw them in a hat. Who knows? Yeah, and, and speaking of Ryan, if you guys are watching, you want to participate. I know we're moving quickly here, but we will get to your comments uh, as we move along here. Um, and you can find this article on Pro Football Talk and NBCSports.com. Uh, coming in at 13, which is surprising to me, really depends on their quarterback, but the Buffalo Bills, a lot on Josh Allen here. Yeah, the defense is really good. They got Stephon Diggs. I guess it depends on how you view Diggs and if you think Josh Allen's a quality quarterback. Um, very much up in the air. So, um, in that division, I, I would say Buffalo will finish with a better record than what the quality of the team is. Well, that I agree with. Um, being, you know, a top 13 team, I guess, is – just a random number anyway. So I don't know if I could really be that mad, but a lot, I, I really need to see a lot more from Josh Allen to be all that confident in them. Despite, I think that they do have the best roster in that division. Um, a team that I think is better than the bills coming in here at 14 is the Indianapolis Colts with Phillip rivers at quarterback. I love the Colts. 
I love them. I love them. They're in my top five for teams. I think they're wow. highly underrated. Um, yeah, I mean, I, the Colts to me are a legit Super Bowl contender. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think the Colts are a lot better than 14, and they're top five in my book. High praise for Indy. Um, the GM's doing a great job over there. So, yeah, I mean, I totally see them doing a really great job being contenders in the AFC. Uh, another team I think is better than some of those teams he had in the top 10 are the Philadelphia Eagles coming in here at 15. Oh, God. Philly's such a hard team to really – put your finger on because the injuries are so prevalent. Like with Carson Wentz, you know, you can expect an injury. You don't know how serious it's going to be. They have a lot of parts that healthy. They are a top 10 team. I I don't doubt it. They have one of the better coaches in the NFL, but this team is always injury riddled. 15 feels right to me. Uh, coming in at the halfway point at 16 here is the Los Angeles Rams, which I feel like, yeah, they're kind of average to me at this point. So this is a, appropriate to me. I actually, I think the Rams are between 24 and 32. I, I don't like the roster. It's old. The defense is overrated. Aaron Donald doesn't have a whole lot of help. The offensive line's not as good as it was. I don't believe in any of their running backs. And their wide receiver core is just not something that I'm super ecstatic about. And how good is Jared Goff? I mean, he, he got the massive extension. He's been in the league for four years now. I don't know if Jared Goff is better in year, in his second year, well, his first year with McVay, versus this year now. I, I don't know if he's gotten dramatically better. The stats are good, but... I mean, other than the year he took them to the, the Super Bowl, I mean, he's been pretty mediocre. And even that year, you could argue that it's probably the most stacked offense that they had. Um, the whole time. So well, I guess uh, it's put up or shut up time for Goff and McVay, if you ask me. Uh, stop trading your first round picks too. Uh, your, your team, Chicago Bears, coming here at 17. A little high for me, if you ask me. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, pew, pew. Shots fired, huh? Too low. <laughs> too, too low. Oh. That defense is really, really good. So here's the thing with the Bears. I don't know if Foles gets the job or Trubisky gets the job. Hopefully, if they can get consistent quarterback play, consistent, solid. If they get average quarterback play, this is an 11-12 win team. They can get between 11 and 12 wins. If they get bad quarterback play, they – Randy, look at them last year. They had one of the hardest schedules in the NFL, and they finished 8-8. Eight and eight, All because of okay. that defense – it was just that defense that saved their ass. Now, if they can just get competent quarterback play, I, I think they win the division. I, I just don't know what makes you think that they're going to get competent quarterback play out of Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky. The Philadelphia connection, Randy. Matt Nagy, old Eagles quarterback coach. Matt Nagy, Andy Reid, it's magic. You know, Nick Foles is a quarterback you can believe in. You know, he, he exudes magic in the right situation. What we need to happen, Mitch needs to start off hot. Mitch needs to be really, really hot and then just suffer this catastrophic injury. And Nick Foles comes in and just takes the Bears to the Super Bowl. So you need Mitch Trubisky to be Carson Wentz MVP season 2017 is what you're looking for here. I'll take Mitch Trubisky, competent quarterback, gets catastrophic injury. 
All right. Uh, <laughs> a little more optimism about the Bears than I was expecting there. I won't lie to you. Uh, coming in at 18, which is, I think, a criminally underrated spot for the Arizona Cardinals. I am so high on the Arizona Cardinals. I cannot believe they're this low. I still feel they're a pass rusher short. I, I like Isaiah, Isaiah Simmons' pick in the draft, but counting on a rookie to play next Chandler Jones. I'm not sold. Patrick Peterson's a year older. That secondary still has some questions. Who's going to play opposite, opposite side of Patrick Peterson? I don't love their safeties. I don't love their linebackers. Offensively, I think their offensive line is getting a little bit too much credit. I don't think that offensive line's that good. And Kenyon Drake, I like. I don't know if he's good enough to carry that football team. I feel like they should be a smidge higher, but that's going to be a really tough division. I I have a hard time seeing them being able to compete or to beat the 49ers and Seahawks. So it feels right. They, they they feel like in the middle to me. To me, it's all about Kyler. Uh, it's all about DeAndre Hopkins. It's all about Larry Fitz. It's all about Christian Kirk. And I think these, that team's going to score a lot of points. I think it's going to be one of the more fun offenses to watch. So we'll see about how Kyler Murray uh, does in year two, which is usually a regression year. So we'll see. Got to stop people, Randy. You got to stop people from scoring. It's true. Very true. Um, speaking of teams that aren't good at stopping people, it's the Miami Dolphins who come here, come in here at 19. They are right where they should be. Next year is their year. They had a terrific draft, knocked it out of the park, just did a fantastic job. I still feel like they need some weapons offensively at the wide receiver position to really, really help Tua and get him a tight end that is really good. And I think Miami next year is going to be a real threat this year. You'll see, you'll see improvement. I just want to see how good Tua is, how healthy he is. I, I really, I don't have any expectations for the dolphins other than show me what you got. Can so I'm you, excited to watch Tua. Could, could you imagine if Tua is better the next three years than Joe Burrow? the kind of crap Bengals fans would have to live with. Wouldn't that be the same thing you're living with, with Mitch? Stop it. <laughs> I'm sorry. You just you threw me an alley-oop, and I just had to do it in a 360 dunk. Um, number 20 is John Elway's Denver Broncos. God, I, this team, I don't I don't know. It, it feels right. I I don't think they finish higher than that. Probably a little bit below that. Yeah, a lot riding on Drew Locke. Uh, showed some flashes, but you really need to see some consistency there. Um, maybe a little too young, but going to be a fun receiving core, if nothing else. Um, this one is one of the more shocking ones. These two, actually, 21 here, New England Patriots. Uh, Tom Brady lists New England Patriots here at 21. Feels right. They don't have a lot of offensive weapons that scare me, and defensively, they just kind of feel meh. Yeah, uh, reports coming out of New England is that they love Jared Stimp and uh, that he was playing better than Brady was last year in practices. So I don't know if that's just Pat's spin, but it's interesting. Yeah, I'm sure the Buffalo Bills, the Dolphins, and the Jets are going to love Jared Stidham as well. <laughs> All right, this one I don't love either, but, you know, I can't believe in Bill O'Brien for anything. So number 22 is the Houston Texans. You know, I threw this theory out here, Randy, a couple years from now. Deshaun Watson looks at the NFL landscape and says, you know what? I forgive you, Chicago. Let me be your quarterback savior. 
because Bill O'Brien is stupid enough to get rid of him. So, yeah, J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson, what else do they got? A bunch of nothing. I'm not worried about the Texans. That, that's absolutely right. I'm just a big believer in Deshaun Watson. I just think that he's good enough to get them, at least into the playoffs, if nothing else. With, with what? So, he, he has nothing. David Johnson? I, <laughs> I, I just think that he's so good that it, you can put a bunch of random guys around him like that. I mean, it, it's going to be a lot of Will Fuller if he can stay healthy. I mean, I, I don't know. No, no. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's really good, but he ain't Patrick Mahomes. Oh, no one's Patrick Mahomes, so I'm with you on that. Uh, number 23, with Justin Herbert probably starting week one, is the Los Angeles Chargers. I really like Anthony Lynn. I think he's a really good head coach. Oh, God. This roster, I, I don't know about the Chargers. I, I feel like they should be better, but I could see them not being better. God, that's such a tough division. I think they're better than the Broncos. So I say the Chargers should be higher. Okay, and I'm going to make one declaration in all this list. This team here at 24, I'm guaranteeing will finish better than 24th is the Cleveland Browns. Oh, yeah, it feels really low. I'm high on Cleveland this year. I I think they finished between – I could see in that 12 range, 10 10 to 14. Yeah, I think they're a borderline playoff team. And if, you know, all things click, they're definitely a playoff team. They certainly have the roster on paper for it. Um, number 25, uh, is the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I I think Peter King nailed that. Yeah. Uh, they started one and seven, I believe last year. So, I mean, in four and nine, four, nine and one and seven in the last two years, they always seem to get off the slow starts. They don't really do a whole lot for me. So that feels about right. Um, coming in at 26 is the Detroit Lions. Leon, I'm sorry, man, but this team's a bunch of hot garbage. I, I love the pick of Jeff Okuda in, in the draft. Why they select a running back with their second pick and, you know, with the, in the second round, that was a little bit befuddling. Um, man, this team, the coach is bad. The GM is bad. They fired a competent coach. I feel if they would have kept Jim Caldwell, they would have been a playoff team by now because there was a couple of doors that were open um, that they could have snuck in when the Vikings and Packers and Bears were all kind of around that 500 mark, especially when the Bears were bad. So, yeah, they got a wrong piece of everything, and I don't think Stafford is as good of a quarterback as he was, which isn't saying a whole lot. So this team has – 30 to 32 written all over it. Yeah, for sure. Um, 27 is a team with the number one overall pick in Joe Burrow in the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, it's hard to put them much higher than that at this point, right? Yeah, but I kind of like them. I, I think they suffered some pretty serious injuries. And if you believe it or not, did Andy Dalton hold them back? Or was it the coach with Marvin Lewis? I don't know if I believe in Zach Taylor, the head coach. It, it feels right until they do something. But I, I could see some reason for optimism. Yeah, I, I just want to see how Burrow does. And I do like what they've done in the draft the last couple of years. So I just think, you know, based on premise of the unknown, you kind of have to just keep them low and see what happens. Um, a team worse than them somehow is the New York Jets. Um, brutal schedule this year, but I, can, I feel like they're going to end up higher than that. They're a better team, 
than a lot of these teams we mentioned from 20 to this point. Yeah. Their schedule is so hard. Kind of like I said, the Bills will finish with a better record than the team they are. I think the Jets will finish with a worse record, but be a better team than their record. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just – that schedule to start is just so brutal. Yeah. Um, for the first time in 10 years, they won't have Cam Newton at quarterback. The Carolina Panthers coming in at 29 under Matt Rule. This team's awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of the worst teams in the NFL. Yeah, they're rebuilding. I don't find this to be all that controversial. I think that Rule has a plan, and he's you know, going to have to be bad for a little bit until he can draft the guys that he wants. Um, if you haven't been paying attention, team we haven't named yet, New York football giants coming in at number 30, bottom three team in the league. Let's go. <laughs> I don't think they can survive a regime. Here's my issue with the giants, Randy. And it's, it's the same issue I have with the bears and shout out to Felipe Melicio here is Felipe always talked about the bears drafting Trubisky with the lame duck head coach. You knew you were going to probably get a new head coach the following year. Why draft a quarterback if you weren't sure exactly if Fox was your head coach. So you draft a quarterback and then you get a head coach in Matt Nagy, who's not in love with Mitch Trubisky, obviously. Now the Giants drafted Daniel Jones with the idea that Pat Shermer was going to coach him up. And I think Pat Shermer did a really nice job coaching up Daniel Jones. But If nothing else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if nothing else. Bad head coach, really good with quarterbacks. Now you get a head coach, Joe Judge. And I I think a lot of head coaches do this. I think they talk themselves into quarterbacks until Mm -hmm. they actually are in the, on the field with them and they see it and they're like, Oh God, this guy sucks. So I think the giants are better than what this spot would indicate, but not by a whole lot. And I feel bad for Daniel Jones because he's put in an impossible spot. The only way this team is better than this spot is if, Saquon Barkley has like a 2012 Adrian Peterson type year where he's like a legitimately uh, legit MVP candidate. Um, That's the only way I can see it because I'm looking at their schedule and I'm looking at where they are. Um, I I know Vince hates when I say it, but it's the worst three-year stretch of franchise history. Um, I can't get over that right now. Until they prove it to me, I'm going to be kind of pessimistic about it. Um, I counted four possible winnable games this year. They haven't beaten the Cowboys or Eagles since 2016. I don't envision that happening this year. I still think they're way behind those teams. Um, I could see them beating the Redskins twice, which, you know, not saying all that much. Um, I could see them getting lucky against your Bears, but at the same time, you don't feel that way. And then the Bengals is the only other winnable game on the schedule. Um, To me, this is one of the harder schedules that they have, and it might be a blessing because they have another top five pick. They grab a defensive player that they so desperately need. They have the worst defensive line in the sport. They have no pass rush. And now with the DeAndre Baker situation, they have not as good of a secondary as they expected to have. And not like he was great anyway, but at the very least, he was deaf. So um, appropriate ranking for the Giants. I have no, you know, not a lot of hope for them. If they win more than four games, great. I just, I'd be surprised. Um, Coming in right after them is division rival Washington Redskins at 31. Again, kind of feels right to me until Haskins shows me a little more. Yeah, it feels like a team that's missing a quarterback, but I feel like that defense is going to be really, really good. Um, I think they're better than the Giants. I, I Washington feels a little too low to me, but you never know, man. Football's weird. There's some variance in there, but they're not a top. 
they shouldn't be a top 25 NFL team. There's nothing that indicates that they should be. No, and I'm not looking forward to Chase Young just ruining my life because he's on the Redskins now. Um, and to round it all out, is the team I feel is the only team that we've said is don't have a plan at quarterback, and that's the Jacksonville Jaguars with Gardner Minshew. This team is – you still got Doug Marone as the head coach. Arguably, he should have been fired when Coughlin was let go. Um, man, this team's so bad. Yeah, I, I don't have a lot of hope for them. <clears throat> Welcome to Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, that's going to suck so bad for him. What, a, what an undeserving NFL franchise. Yeah. And then we're going yeah. to get Trevor – we're going to get Trevor Lawrence on AEW after a while. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Well, he has to be 50 years old first because, you know, Mike Tyson and all. Yikes. Um, I'll, I'll take him on the Jags before I want him on the Patriots, though. I'll give you that. Like, as long as he doesn't end up on the Pats, uh, I think we dodged a bullet at that point. Agreed. Okay, so we're uh, near, nearing the end of this podcast. Uh, we've gone for a while here. We obviously touched on some serious stuff, had a little bit of fun. Um, and next week we decided here on the Audible that we are going to start doing some division previews. Um, I think the way we timed it out is that it's going to end, you know, week one or week two of the preseason. Um, and we want to ask you guys for your help. We want, we're going to create a poll in Football Life, and we want you to vote on which division we want us to start with. And then what I want you to do is I want you to nominate – a fan of a team in that division to join us on the pod. Obviously we would love to have Leon on for his lions. We would love to have Vince on for the giants. We have to go back and forth. We'd love to have Jake on for the jets uh, and so on and so forth. So we're going to put up a poll of all eight NFL divisions and we want you to vote on which one we do first. And we're going to go week by week. And it's going to be a based on a vote for you guys. Um, and we're really looking forward to the next eight weeks, breaking down division by division. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And Obviously, I get to do one of the things that I love to do most, and that's look at a whole bunch of tape. Um, so mm -hmm. a, a lack of sleep for me will be in the near future. Obviously, I got to pay attention to the wife and kids. I don't want to get divorced, but <laughs> it is going to be a lot of fun. And I really look forward to talking to football, you know, and, and get some different opinions out there. See what you guys think of your divisions. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we do count bias. It's okay to be biased. Um, Hence the Bears winning the Super Bowl in 2021. Uh, well, the 2020 season. Yeah. So the Bears yeah. will be winning the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. So I look forward to any NFC North fan that wants to debate that, Leon, and your own 16 Lions. But you know what? Ooh. Stranger things have happened. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, like I said, I'm going to post a poll tonight. That poll is going to run through the weekend. We're going to close the voting on Monday and then all week I'm going to be teasing some teams and some storylines we're going to talk about and I'm really looking forward to doing this again next Friday um, I want to thank you guys so much for listening to us I know we got a little bit of got deep off the top here I felt like that was an important conversation for us to have Matt I'm really proud that I got to have that talk with you and be a part of this with you yeah and, and thank you Randy for letting me be able to voice that um, it's a heavy subject it's close to home it, it really is and I just want to say that I believe in people and I think you have to believe in people. You hope for the best and you hope for the good. And I believe everyone's capable of change and not to make light of the situation, but very much like Rocky Balboa said in Russia after beating Ivan, Den I Ivan Drago, 
if I can change and you can change, we can all change. I don't think that's making light of the situation at all. I think that's beautiful uh, <laughs> right at face value. Um, I was going to make light of the situation and quote Jackie Moon from Semi-Pro and say, everybody love everybody. <laughs> I think that's a little simpler way of putting it in obviously a complex situation. So uh, I, I love all you guys. I love being a part of these things. And I'm really happy that we got to do this. Um, stay tuned. I want, we have obviously have a family of podcasts here. So on Monday night, at 7 o'clock over in Baseball Life, we have our flagship show, Dong City, featuring Vince Mercadetti and our founder, Henry Maldonado. So check that out, and we'll have the latest on the current state of the Major League Baseball season, which I'm not all that optimistic about. But those guys always have great stuff. I'm looking forward to that. Um, Matt, once again, really great time talking stuff with you today. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, thanks for watching. Yep. Thank you, everyone.